ladies and gentlemen, those of you from this world and the next, it gives me great pleasure to present the Satanic Player Society, traveling sideshow of the Macaw. Join us as we bring you wonders from the abyss, pros from the shadows, and tales of horror and madness. Now, it brings me great joy to introduce tonight's performers, each bringing their own skills and talents to the show. Please be standing and give a round of applause for... Alec, the human cannonball. He knows no fear. Watch as he launches himself far and flames through bricks and mortar makes stirring the fate of bravery. Or, ladies and gentlemen, is it insanity? Citizen Horror, the two-headed wonder. One head is female, the other male. But it is true, ladies and gentlemen. For when this devious duo come together, your mind will be irrevocably desecrated. Erin, the equestrian falter. Witness the perfect union of woman and sting, leaping and jumping for your enjoyment. Not one to be taken for granted, folks. She will quickly trample you under foot if you engage her. Jeffrey, the lion tamer. This man truly is the beastmaster. The animals of the jungle and the safari plane bow to his will. But that's not enough for this show. Tonight he brings you performing demons of hell. Jesse, the roustabite. She tightens our ropes. She builds the stage in which we stand. And she mends the canvas. She also hides the bodies. Rachel, the dragon lady. Her scales are as tough as steel. Her claws sharper than any blade. But that is not the most terrifying thing about this lady. The fire she raised can turn a person to ash in mere seconds. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it brings me great pleasure to present to you Candy, Blood and Sex, written by Hydra M. Starr. I know what everyone thinks of me. You think I'm damaged. Are you damaged? I'm not damaged. It would be okay if you were. She returned the lipstick to her new purse and pulled another cigarette out of the pack on the table, leaning back in the uncomfortable wooden chair, causing it to creak softly. Scarlet took another drag of her cigarette. She wasn't damaged and resented being thought of that way. But what could she do or say now to change that? Fate, it seemed, had decided long ago to cast her in the role of victim. She smiled bitterly at the memory of just how far back all of this went.
autumn of 1989. The leaves had started to turn, but it was still early enough in the season that the days were comfortable and the nights were bearable. James and Nancy had taken much care in timing their family camping trip. They had gone so far as to make sure that the moon would be at its fullest on the weekend of their outing, and would offer them the best and brightest nighttime light. Camping was a passion for James and Nancy Little, and they hoped that their little girl, Scarlet, would be as won over by the wonderland that was the forest as they had been their first time in the mountains. It had, in fact, been on that first forested outing during their college years that the two of them had met and fallen in. James and a few of his fraternity brothers had decided to spend the first two weeks of their junior year summer vacation camping in the mountains of North Carolina. He was a strapping young man with dark hair and average looks, who was at the time attending the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill on a football scholarship. The mountains were an affordable excursion for young men on a tight budget. Nancy was the best friend of a girl named Kara, who was dating one of the boys in James' group. She and Kara, along with a handful of other girls, had been invited to tag along. The short, slightly plump and curvy Nancy met James when he offered to help her secure her things to the roof of the group's van. From that moment on, it had been love. The pair were married a year and a half later, and then a year after that, their first child was born, a daughter. They named her Scarlet, after the lead character in Nancy's favorite movie, Gone with the Wind. Baby Scarlet, who did look a bit like a chubby Vivian Leigh, was a happy and healthy child, with James' dark hair and Nancy's dazzling green eyes. She was just over three years old when the little family took their first family camping trip into the very mountains which had served as the backdrop for the birth of James and Nancy's love. Those same mountains would soon witness the death of that love. It was after midday by the time the little family made camp. It had taken them a little time and a bit of hiking, but luck was on their side, and they had found a small clearing, just large enough for their tent and a fire, by the largest of the streams that cut through the center of the park. It would have normally been a real challenge to get such a prime spot, and also be separated by any meaningful distance from other campers. Though the park was large, it was popular among both locals and tourists and they didn't want to go too far off the officially marked trails. But the lateness in the camping season made it a lot easier to achieve some privacy. Everything was going according to Nancy and James' plans. James decided to set up the large four-person tent they'd purchased especially for their family trip, close to the tree line and away from the water's edge. Despite having practiced setting it up in their backyard the night before, he ran into trouble straight away. The flexible poles that held up its roof would not flex in the right directions. He was soon cussing them beneath his breath. Nancy, who didn't like it when he got into these sorts of moods, knew the trouble would pass sooner if she simply left him alone to sort everything out by himself. So, casting a disapproving eye at James, 
She called Scarlet to her. With an excited nod that caused her pigtails to bounce, Scarlet turned from her play by the stream and skipped back towards where her mother stood. With a sigh, she took her daughter's hand and headed back into the tree line, carrying with her a large open-top backpack she always used to collect firewood. She'd taken up this peculiar method of toting wood years before. It wasn't that Nancy was opposed to getting her hands dirty on carrying wood by hand, but if there was an easier way, then why not employ it, she thought. And on this day, it proved a benefit. Using the bag made it easier for Scarlet to help her and for her to keep the child in hand. For her part, the girl took surprising delight in sticking the broken limbs they found scattered on the forest floor into the bag. It soon became a sort of game, as she tried to find pieces that were long enough to stick up out of the top of the bag. In almost no time, the work was done and the pack was filled with enough wood for them to cook dinner and keep warm for the night. Okay, Pumpkin, let's head on back. Daddy should be done with the tent by now. He's probably getting hungry. I'm not a pumpkin! Scarlet responded. You're my pumpkin, my pretty funny little pumpkin. Nancy gave the girl a playful poke in the belly. <laughs> no, I'm not. Scarlet giggled. Okay, you're not a pumpkin, but you might turn into one if we don't get back to camp soon. Nancy gave the giggling toddler's belly another poke. The little girl just laughed. <laughs> the mother and daughter had not penetrated the woods very deeply. There had been plenty of good-sized, dry branches and twigs nearby. It had only been Scarlet's enthusiasm to find longer branches that had taken them out of sight of James and fully beneath the forest canopy of leaves. They were, however, still within sight of the stream. The sunlight glinting off its rippling surface could be seen clearly through the trees, and they could hear the soft bubbling sound it made as it rushed around and over the rocks that made up its bed. They'd use it as their guide back to camp, but first Nancy guided Scarlet towards the shore. As they emerged once more from the trees and came to stand beside the water, their proximity to it and its rocks gave Scarlet a chance to make up another new game to play. Nancy made no fuss as the girl collected small pebbles from the water's edge and tossed them into the water. This game took some time, mostly in the collecting, and slowed down their progress considerably, but Scarlet squealed with such delight at the plopping sounds the stones made as they broke the water's surface that Nancy couldn't bring herself to hurry the girl along. Instead, she slowed her pace and asked, You want to do some fishing tomorrow, Pumpkin? She expected to hear, I'm not a pumpkin, but instead Scarlet asked, What's that, Mommy? What's what? Nancy was slow to turn back, and even slower to look towards the direction her daughter was staring figuring she'd find that the girl's eye had been caught by an unusual flower or dead fish. She instinctively looked down towards the ground and the water, but saw nothing. Dad! Mommy! Scarlet said, a bit more forcefully, and pointed across to the other side of the water. What? that? Nancy's eyes followed the gesture, and came to rest upon an outcropping of rocks on the far bank. The trees on that side of the stream were nearer to the water, and with the sun behind them, casting the area before them in heavy shadow. Even so, she could clearly make out a large figure moving up from the water and towards the trees. Whoever, or whatever, it was stood upright, like a man, and was big. Very big. It also appeared very dark against the backdrop of brush it was moving swiftly into. 
It was gone before Nancy could make out. Rather, it was a beast or a man. A profound feeling of uneasiness was quickly overtaking her senses. Come on, Charlotte. She firmly took hold of the girl's still-raised hand and pulled her away from the water and towards their camp. So you saw a bear? We are in the wilderness and they are common around here. I don't think it was a bear. What else could it have been? Bigfoot? (laughs) James laughed. He'd listened carefully and compassionately to his wife as she told him of the events down by the stream. But enough was enough. He didn't want to make fun of her, but he felt she was being silly and overly imaginative. I'll make a joke of it, James. I didn't get a good look at it, is all I'm saying. Well, the way I and any other rational person would see it, there are only two options to explain what you saw. It was either a bear or another camper. Either way, I don't know why you're so worried. Whatever it was, it was moving away from you. I get scared, Scarlet. James let out another round of laughter (laughs) and pointed over to Scarlet, who was once more collecting rocks and tossing them into the water. Yeah, she looks real scared. Nancy said nothing. She knew he was right. The tent was finally set up, and it was time to start the fire for dinner. There was no time for them to move camp before dark, even if James had agreed with her that they needed to. With a sigh and nod, she conceded defeat and started dinner. That night, James and Nancy put Scarlet to bed earlier and sat together beneath a shared blanket and drank hot buttered rum by the slowly dying fire. The rum and a belly full of beef stew had done wonders to help Nancy forget about the animal or man she'd seen on the distant shore. She felt completely safe and relaxed as she snuggled up close to James and rested her head on his shoulder. This day has been nearly perfect. I'm really glad we came up here. Me too. He kissed the top of her head and hugged her body a little closer to his own. He could just make out the soft sound of Scarlet snoring over the crackling of the burning wood. Certain that she was asleep, he kissed Nancy's mouth with more passion than he'd shown in quite some time. This trip was as magical as Nancy had hoped for, and she responded to his kiss with vigor. This would be the last evening the little family would ever spend together. The following Monday morning, a trio of college students found young Scarlet, covered in dirt and dried blood, wandering alone on a trail near to her family's campsite. After frantically washing her down with nearly their full supply of drinking water, it was quickly discovered that none of the blood was her own, and she was, despite being dehydrated and very hungry, in good health. The trio tried questioning her to find out where she had come from and what had happened to her, but she gave them no answers that made sense. Something about a beast or a man from over the stream was all the information they could get out of her. Not willing to stick around the area and find the answer or the beast for themselves, the three young men decided it was best to get the girl back to the ranger station as quickly as they could. A search was immediately put underway to find her parents. It took the park rangers and other local authorities another full day to locate their camp and what was left of Nancy and James. The bodies of Scarlet's parents were found by their long-since-dead campfire. 
A torn blanket and scattered firewood lay all around and between them. Most of the more gruesome details of their deaths were held back from the newspapers. The fact that Nancy's head was never found was revealed to the family, but not to the press. The only place it was mentioned that James had been castrated and his parts never located and presumed eaten was on a single page of the official coroner's report. How Scarlet had made it out of the ordeal unscathed was both a mystery and a miracle. It could only be guessed that she had been asleep in the tent, which was surprisingly unmolested when the attack had happened, and only got James and Nancy's blood on her as she awoke and tried to awaken them. No one questioned her closely about what had happened. She was so young and had already been through so much. It was decided that some of her innocence should be preserved and she should be allowed to forget. The rangers and county coroner agreed the cause of death was a bear attack, an extremely savage and aggressive bear attack. The case was quickly and quietly closed and the area was reopened to campers. Though a hunt was arranged by the rangers and local landowners, the bear that had attacked the family was never identified. Scarlet was sent to live with her grandmother. Autumn of 2004. It was three blocks from the bus stop to Scarlet's grandmother's house. Thanks to the area being designated a historic district, no one was allowed to cut any of the old growth trees that lined both sides of the street without permission from the city. So, much of the way was shaded by a thick canopy of leaves during spring, summer, and the first part of autumn. The distant noise of traffic from the major thoroughfare the buses ran on, and the occasional barking of neighborhood dogs, kept the area from being truly quiet. But, as city sand landscapes went, it was a peaceful backdrop to a comfortable middle-class life. Beverly Hood and her late husband had lived the whole of their married life in a small farming community in the eastern part of North Carolina. It was there that Beverly had been born, and there she and her husband had settled after school to raise their family. She had thought she would live there until she died, but she and Scarlett had moved to the city of Charlotte not long after the deaths of Nancy and James. The older woman couldn't bear the sad memories that raising her granddaughter in the same house where she'd raised the girl's mother invoked, and after what had happened to the little girl's parents, she didn't want her playing in the woods surrounding her old country home. Naturally, when friends and other members of her hometown's community had learned of Beverly's plans to move to the biggest city their state had to offer, they had all been very concerned. An aging woman and a young girl living alone in such a dangerous and unfriendly place would be easy picking for every ne'er-do-well the city was home to, but Beverly was less afraid of the big city and crime than she was of what might happen if another hungry bear or wildcat happened upon her last living relative. Scarlet, on the other hand, was afraid of nothing. She remembered almost nothing about her parents or their final camping trip. Vague memories of pebbles and sticks were all she was left with. She was no longer a little girl, but rather a curvy 18-year-old, and though she rarely left the city and didn't enjoy the outdoors, she was following in the footsteps of both her parents in at least one way. She'd started her first year at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte the previous August. The world lay open before her to do in it whatever she pleased, and what pleased her at that very moment was getting back to her grandma's house to change for the Halloween party at Krista and Jenna's place. She'd decided at the last minute to go as a naughty nurse, 
and had her skimpy white costume in a bag tucked under her arm. She hoped to find a handsome doctor to play surgery with at the party. But even if she didn't, she was certain to have a good time. She always did with Krista and Jenna. Ever since the three of them had become fast friends during freshman orientation, it had been one good time after another. Scarlett had spent the better part of their first month of classes showing the two out-of-towners around the city. It was amazing how far a good knowledge of local clothing stores and places to eat could go in making friends. She'd have less of a good time telling her grandmother about the second invitation Krista and Jenna had given her to move in with them. She decided as she walked that she'd wait until after the party to figure out how to break the news to her grandmother. Beverly would protest the move. Neither the university nor Krista and Jenna's house were situated in the best part of the city, and Scarlett would have to use the money she'd been saving to buy a car to pay her part of the rent. She'd be taking public transportation for at least another year. But she didn't see this as a great hardship. Both her job at the campus bookstore and the school were within walking distance of Krista and Jenna's house. It would all work out. She'd make her grandmother understand. Scarlett took no notice of the man watching her as she made her way to her grandmother's door. But he was hidden quite well, standing as he was between two neighboring houses, beneath two closely planted trees. Weeks passed, and it had turned out Beverly was far more understanding regarding her grandmother's move than Scarlett had given her credit for, though she had clearly been saddened by the girl's departure. Scarlett reassured her that they'd still see each other often, and promised that she'd visit every few days. She'd visit so often it would be like she'd never left. The promises and words were all cliches, but they made the older woman happy, and Scarlett intended to keep her word. Her grandmother was the only family she had. Shifting both bags of food to one hand, Scarlett pulled her keys from her purse and let herself into the house. The weather had gotten cooler since the day of the Halloween party, but she was keeping her promise. She was also bringing her grandmother dinner, having stopped off for some fried chicken at Beverly's favorite chicken place before popping in for her sixth visit home in half as many weeks. She called out as she entered. Grandma, I'm here! I stopped by the Bojangles and picked us up some dinner and a jug tea! There was no answer. Placing the food on the dining room table, Scarlet stepped into the kitchen to retrieve a couple of plates and glasses. Two of the kitchen's cabinet doors, just off from and above the sink, stood open. Scarlet shook her head and grabbed down two plates and two glasses from the cabinet shelves before closing the open doors. You know, Grandma, it's supposed to be you that has the tidy up behind me! This was a running joke between the two of them. Scarlet had always been the neat one, the orderly child that put away her toys and books when she was done playing. Beverly was more of a free spirit, as she often put it, when Scarlet teased her about the little messes she left all over the house. Scarlet returned to the table in silence and placed a glass and plate in front of both her and her grandmother's usual seats. The food was starting to get cold and the tea warm. If you don't want cold chicken, you need to come on and eat, she called. There was still no answer. Scarlet stopped what she was doing, leaving the chicken in the takeout boxes and the plates empty, and stepped into the living room. She looked around for signs of her grandmother's presence. Beverly's house keys were lying in the large bowl in the middle of the coffee table, where she always left them. Her white Ford Focus sat in the driveway which Scarlet could see through the large bay windows that took up most of the wall opposite the sofa. Her grandmother was home. When they'd spoken by phone earlier in the day, 
The older woman had mentioned that she felt a bout of hay fever coming on. With feelings and thoughts of only mild concern creeping into the back of her mind, Scarlet moved in the direction of her grandmother's bedroom. The stillness of the house was beginning to unnerve her. Her grandmother had always been a light sleeper, waking several times throughout the night if a neighbor's dog barked or a car door slammed anywhere on their street. She should have been up and out to greet her granddaughter the moment Scarlet's keys jiggled in the front door's lock. Something wasn't right. Without another word, Scarlet edged her way down the hall slowly, moving cautiously towards the slightly ajar master bedroom's door at its other end. There was no light coming from the room beyond, and an early autumn night was quickly falling over the surrounding city. The back part of the house, well away from the street lamps out front, was quickly growing dark. Scarlet flipped the switch for the hallway light as she passed it. The dim yellow glow cast on the wood-paneled walls did little to calm her growing nervousness. She pushed the bedroom door open gently. Grandma! A large person-shaped lump under the covers of her grandmother's bed shifted ever so slightly, just enough for Scarlet's eyes to catch the movement in the darkness. I'm turning on the light, Grandma. Watch your eyes. She flipped on the switch by the door. Nothing happened. No light came on. Scarlet's stomach lurched upwards and then fell. She had reoccurring nightmares like this. Dark rooms with light switches that didn't work, and monsters hiding inside the shadows, but that was silly. This was real, waking life. The light bulb had blown, and her grandmother hadn't gotten around to replacing it yet, or didn't even know it needed replacing. It was as simple a thing as that. Nothing to be nervous or fearful of. She'd go back into the room, turn on the lamp beside the bed, and the two of them would be back down the hall at the table eating lukewarm fried chicken before her accelerated heart rate had time to slow. Scarlet moved quickly from the door to the bedside table. She could just make out the outline of the lamp that sat upon it by the glow of the hallway light. As she entered, she noted that the room smelt... odd. It smelt like sickness, but not quite like vomit. No, it was nothing like vomit, but just as unhealthy. Scarlet's concern was growing. Do you know your overhead light is blown? She asked, hoping that her grandmother would finally acknowledge her presence. The lump in the bed didn't move this time when she spoke. Can you hear me, Grandma? Your overhead light isn't- The last of Scarlet's words became lodged in her throat. The eyes and the face staring up at her from the bed were not her grandmother's. They were much too dark and masculine. She instinctively turned to run, but there was something slippery and wet on the carpet beneath her feet. It caused her to lose her balance and slowed her progress. In the same moment as her feet started to slip out from under her, she heard from behind her the covers of the bed being thrown violently off. The man beneath them leapt up to grab her. She could sense his movement even before she felt him take hold of her. Between her lost footing and the stranger's quickness, Scarlet was instantly caught. She screamed as he pulled her backwards, towards the bed, and jerked with all her might to free herself from his grasp. But his hold on her was too strong, and her efforts to get away only won her enough leverage to send them both crashing into the bedroom wall, and then to the floor. Scarlet landed face down on the sticky carpet. Instinctively, she turned her head violently to the side. She was now staring at the underside of her grandmother's bed. It was there that she finally found the old woman. Scarlet tried to scream, but the man's hand covered her mouth before she could make a sound. Her grandmother could make no sound, either. The dim light of the table lamp cast enough of a glow to just barely illuminate the gore beneath the bed, but with her face pressed literally into her grandmother's blood and her dismembered body mere inches from Scarlet's face, it was easy enough for her to see. 
Beverly's limbs had been ripped from their sockets, her chest and stomach torn open. Her mouth was opened wide in a muted scream that her ripped-out lungs and tongue could no longer produce. The sight of her was a horror, but the smell was worse. It made it all the more real somehow, and was something Scarlet would never forget. It also brought back long-forgotten childhood memories. Beverly Hood, Scarlet's beloved grandmother, had been torn apart in a manner similar to how the girl's parents had been so many years prior. Scarlet gagged and tried to cough, but the hand over her mouth held everything back. The hand also held a small rag, soaked in what she could only assume was some type of drug. The smell of this was as strong as the blood. She lost consciousness in a matter of seconds. Perhaps this was merciful. The last thing she felt, before everything around her went weightless and black, was the man sinking his teeth deeply into her flesh, just below where her neck connected with her shoulder. His bite stung badly, but she only felt it for a moment. Scarlet awoke surrounded by light and sound. Her neck and shoulder felt like they were on fire, and for a moment she didn't remember why they hurt and was confused by how she'd come to be tied up. She struggled to take in her surroundings. Her eyes, for some reason, were having considerable trouble adjusting to the light. Her hearing was also too sensitive. Even the sound of her breathing and the pounding of her heart were nearly too much for her to bear. The drug she'd inhaled, which was still coursing through her system, was making all of her reactions slow. She remembered the drug on the rag, and her eyes went wide with panic as the rest of her memories came flooding back, no longer just trying to take in her surroundings, but trying also to sense the presence of the dark-skinned man. There was still something over her mouth, or she would have screamed, called out for help. She could tell by the smell of it that, whatever it was, it wasn't the rag. This new material was also not just over her mouth, but it was inside of it as well. She was gagged, in addition to being tied. She was completely helpless. As this realization set in, and her senses became a bit more clear, Scarlet found that she was no longer in her grandmother's house. She lay instead on a soft, nice-smelling bed, covered in a dark gray comforter, facing an unfamiliar burgundy-colored wall. Any other time, she would have appreciated the contrast and boldness of the colors, but not on this night. She began to struggle against the ropes that held her hands behind her back and bound her legs together at the knees and ankles. Neither set of ropes would budge an inch. She tried again to scream, but it came out only as a muffled, desperate sort of groan. I'm disappointed, said a male voice near to her, causing every muscle in Scarlet's body to freeze and stiffen. He, the man who had killed her grandmother and kidnapped her, was somehow behind her, and judging by the sound of shoes on what could only be an uncarpeted floor, was moving closer to her. His voice sounded even and unemotional, not disappointed at all. I know I startled you before, and I didn't mean for you to see what was beneath the bed. But you didn't respond so dramatically when we ate your parents. You didn't even cry. You were such a brave little girl, such a beauty even then. That display of bravery was what helped me convince my father to let you live. Do you remember any of that? She felt the mattress beneath her shift as he sat on the bed behind her. She wanted to turn her head to look at him. She wanted to see if his was indeed the same face that had stared up at her from her grandmother's bed. But at the same time, she did not want to see. She just wanted to wake up, 
safely back in her grandmother's home. She wanted everything she remembered from the time she stepped into grandmother's hallway until this moment to be a dream, a horrible dream. He touched the side of her face, brushing her long, dark hair away from her cheek and out of her eyes. I had to practically grovel at my father's feet to win you your life then, but I am now the Alpha. You will have a secure place in the pack once you've been initiated. Scarlet's head was really starting to hurt. She couldn't make any sense of what this man, this killer, was saying to her. He was clearly insane. He was taking credit for killing and eating her parents. A bear did that, but how did he know about what happened to them? Their deaths had been reported on in the local media, but that had been 15 years prior. Why was he doing this to her? Why was he saying these things to her about them that night? Why had he done what he did to her grandmother? What did he want? She wanted so badly to scream out her frustration and confusion, but she was still gagged. After you are initiated, the others will recognize you as mine, and you won't have to worry about anything or anyone hurting you ever again. No one will dare. You'll be completely safe. I'll protect you. You have my word on that. Even during the initiation, I'll protect you. I'll keep them from really hurting. His words were interrupted. From somewhere behind the foot of the bed came the sound of a door opening, and heavy footsteps. The door and bed were at such an angle to one another that Scarlet was able to turn her head just enough to see the intruders. Her heart froze at the sight of them. Six men, all of them strongly built and standing just outside the room's double doorway. These men were all of different races and ages. Two of them appeared to be Hispanic, or maybe Native American, and were roughly Scarlet's age. Three were white. Two of them were twenty-somethings and the third an older man, their features giving the impression that they were a father and his two sons. The sixth man, the one leading the charge into the room, and the only one that had actually stepped inside, was black. He couldn't have been any older than twenty-five, and carried himself with a sort of arrogant confidence. They weren't dressed in a manner that would suggest a gang affiliation. They were dressed too plainly, too neatly, too every day. Their shirts were polo or button-ups. One of the teens wore a t-shirt, but it was a nice t-shirt. It didn't have anything on the front, and was light blue. Scarlet's thoughts were becoming jumbled. She had to force herself to think straight, be smart, and get out of this. Whatever this was. Is your bitch ready? The young man just inside the doorway asked, his eyes moving over Scarlet's bound and helpless body as he spoke. The man beside her on the bed stood to face him. Her name is Scarlet, Sammy. And you will give her your respect. Sammy's eyes were still on her. <laughs> what I'm gonna do is give her some cock. It seems you have forgotten your place. The man at her side sprang forward, slamming the younger man's body backwards into the wall. But I will remind you. Scarlet was paying little attention now to the angry, growled words the two men continued to exchange, nor the blows that passed between them. She already heard enough to double her panic. She knew now exactly what the first man had meant by initiation, and what it was the men waiting outside were planning to do to her. She again desperately tried to free herself from the ropes that held her, struggling against them with all her strength. She had to run, fight, something, do anything except let herself be raped by a psycho killer and six of his closest and no doubt equally sadistic friends. Scarlet managed to get herself turned over onto her back, and then with much additional effort sat up, but by this time, she had righted herself the altercation by the door was nearing its conclusion. It wouldn't be long before the men's attention would turn once more towards her. Her mind screamed at her to act faster, but she couldn't. She was helpless, 
The ropes would not give her loosen no matter how much she squirmed or pulled at them. Then as quickly as it had begun, the fight was over. You will leave this house now and not return until after the initiation is done. Do you hear me? Looking slightly dejected, the one her captor had called Sammy backed out of the room, running his eyes once more over Scarlet as he left. She noticed as he did that his eyes were an odd shade of yellow. They were almost like those of an animal. As the door closed, her grandmother's killer, he was indeed the man she had seen in her grandmother's bed, turned back towards her. He had the same yellow eyes. There's no way to escape this. She could feel tears welling up in her eyes. She had never been much of a crier, but was surprised that it had taken her tears this long to arrive. You're one of us now. The moment I bit you back at your grandmother's house, you became one of us. That's why the wound on your neck burned so badly. His voice was soothing. His movements and mannerism were again gentle and non-threatening. She figured he practiced this little speech or had given it many times. Both thoughts made her shudder. I'd like to save you as much pain as possible. I want to make all of this easier for you. He sat on the bed beside her, facing her. His yellow eyes looked sad, almost remorseful. She recoiled from him as best she could in her bound state. He held up his hands in a plea for calm. I'm going to take the gag out of your mouth now, so that I can give you something for the pain and to help you relax. If you start screaming, I won't have any choice other than to open up those doors behind me and let them take you straight away. Do you understand? If he was trying to scare her into submission, it was working. She nodded that she understood. He smiled at her. He was handsome when he smiled. Quite a bit older than she was, but still handsome, with chocolate brown skin and pearly white. But she didn't want to think about him being handsome. She didn't want him to be handsome, and she certainly didn't want to think about his teeth, not with her neck still on fire from his bite. She also didn't want him to touch her, not even to remove the gag, but she had to let him. She had no other means by which to get free of it or the ropes. Her body went slightly limp as he leaned in closer and reached around to the back of her head to untie the scarf that cut off her voice and labored her breathing. As he did so, she caught a whiff of his scent. He smelled good, like candy and sex, with a hint of something else. She pushed that thought out of her mind as the song Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground began to play in her head. He reached over to the bedside table for a glass of water, which was waiting there for her, and held it up to her lips, allowing her to drink enough of it to moisten her mouth. As soon as the glass was pulled away from her lips, she forced her still dry and swollen tongue to form words. Please, don't... Don't beg. His words caught hers off. Doing so is not becoming for one of our kind. We're not cowardly dogs. Face the inescapable with strength and courage. Fuck you! She spat. That's better. (laughs) He chuckled. He seemed genuinely pleased by her angry outburst and made no move towards the doors as he had threatened to do if she screamed. And you'll have your chance at fucking me, but first you have to be initiated into the pack. It's a brutal custom, even outdated perhaps, but it's our way and I can't make any exceptions in this area, not even for you. I don't expect you to understand at first, but with time... I don't want to be a part of any damn pack! She was wiggling again, trying to work her body free. Your only other option is death. She stopped moving and looked up at him. His expression was still peaceful and gentle, but she could see in his eyes that he was serious about killing her if she didn't comply with his wishes. Tonight you are either an initiate or your dinner, but cannibalism isn't really our style. 
Leaning in a little closer, he brushed her hair over her shoulder and away from her neck, so he could inspect the bite. She winced and pulled away from his touch. He stood and reached for something else, further away on the bedside table. It was a small bottle of pills. Setting down the half-empty glass of water, he opened the bottle and dumped three white pills into the palm of his hand. I interrupted your dinner, so I assume your stomach is empty. She said nothing. Have you done drugs before? Just a little weed. I dropped acid once with a friend in high school, but that's it. I figured as much, based on how long the chloroform kept you under. You have no tolerance for drugs. That's good. He smiled as he turned towards her with the pills held out between his fingertips, posed to deposit them into her mouth. Here, take these. They won't knock you out completely, but you won't feel much. She didn't move. She just sat looking at his hand and the pills hanging in midair, just inches in front of her face. This is a gift I am offering you because you are to be mine. It's the first of many gifts. I don't want you to be hurt any more than is unavoidable, but I won't force my kindness onto you. It's your choice whether you go out there and meet the rest of the pack fully aware and with all your nerve endings alive and on fire, as they are now, or floating on a drug-induced cloud. A single tear rolled down each of her cheeks as she leaned forward and wrapped her lips around the tip of his fingers and the pills. Holding them in her mouth, she waited until he brought back the water to swallow them. His face was serious again, no hint of a smile. The pills are fast-acting. It won't take them long to hit your system. He was moving back onto the bed, up towards the head, behind her, untying her hands. She thought for a moment about lashing out and attacking him as she felt the rope fall away from her wrists, but instead she fell backwards onto the bed. He smiled down at her with that handsome smile of his that she didn't want to think about. His skin really was such a lovely shade of chocolate brown, she thought. Like his scent, it reminded her of candy and sex. She hated him. Or at least she knew she was supposed to hate him, but there was a calm warmth spreading out from her belly that was quickly enveloping both her limbs and negative emotions and melting away all her fear. He was untying her legs now, but she hardly felt it. He removed her shoes and her socks next. Then she felt him pulling down her pants, the ones that were covered in her grandmother's blood, she tried to remind herself, but before the thought could fully form, she felt him kiss the inside of her naked thigh. She couldn't react to stop him. Worse still, she felt that she didn't want to, and sighed with desire. The way his lips and beard brushed against her tender flesh had aroused her, but it was an all-too-brief sensation. He was moving to take off her top before she had the chance to feel any guilt over the pleasure this very intimate display of affection had given her. As the pills took a strong hold on her, she couldn't remember quite why she should feel guilty. He was a nice-looking man. He was a bit too old for her, maybe, but... He smelled so good. Her brain was working on repeat now. After a few more passes of these same thoughts about his appearance, smell, and age running through her mind, she realized he was having some trouble getting off her bra. This made her laugh. What's funny? He asked. Men never know how to work the hooks. <laughs> he rolled her over onto her belly and smacked her playfully on the bottom before he unhooked her bra. Her ass cheek stung beneath the thin, silky material of her panties, and her crotch suddenly felt very wet. Rolling her once more onto her back, he removed the bra completely, 
leaving her heavy, almost perfectly white breasts exposed. Their large pink nipples and the light crisscrossing of tiny blue veins their only hint of color. Taking each one of them into his hands, he bent down and kissed one and then the other. She moaned loudly and squirmed beneath his touch. He moved his hands down her body, towards her last item of clothing. His hands lingered for a moment on her wide hips, moving gingerly over them and gently taking hold of the band and sides of her panties, enjoying the soft texture of her flesh. He was clearly enjoying this as much as she was. Arching her back, she closed her eyes as he pulled her underwear slowly down her thick thighs, exposing the dark bush of hair between her legs. It was trimmed so that the pink outer lips of her pussy were left bare. She expected him to touch her there. She wanted him to kiss her pussy, as he had her breasts and thighs, but instead he just looked down at her. Then, leaning over her once more, he kissed her mouth. She parted her lips to greet his tongue with her own, but he pulled back before she could get a proper taste of him. From what she did taste, he tasted what he smelled. He tasted of candy and sex, but thankfully not blood. Before she was able to give much thought to the taste of his kiss, he lifted her up from the bed like one would a sleeping child. No man before him had ever lifted her up so easily, or at all. Momentarily afraid that her weight might be too much for him, and he may drop her, she looped one almost completely limp arm around his neck, but her fear was unfounded. His hold on her was secure. There was much strength in his massive arms. He was, she realized, carrying her towards the bedroom's double doors, and she knew this would make her afraid, but her emotions and brain still weren't working properly. She lifted her head up from his muscular shoulder and looked at him. Her vision was starting to blur, and her words, when she spoke, were slightly slurred. He smiled at her again. Oh, that smile. And answered, Give right her. Yeah. She repeated the name and settled her head back down into his shoulder. Yeah. Even your name is handsome. He opened the doors. Even your name is handsome. The two, or more, hours that followed were a blur of groping hands and hot mouths moving over every inch of Scarlet's flesh. There was a thorough probing of all her major orifices by fingers, penises, and tongues, not all male. For the most part, Gibbs Pack had been gentle with her. She had been oiled and looped up generously before they began, but held in place firmly, and not given the option to turn down any action or advance. Besides the five men she had seen through the bedroom door, there had been a dozen or more other pack members waiting to meet her when she was brought into the living room. These violators of her body became a seemingly endless parade of lust and yellow eyes. She quickly lost count of them. The pills Jib had given her had been too strong of a hold on her mind for her to be able to make sense of who was who and what exactly was being done to her. It was only after a while, when the effects of the drug started to wear off, that she began to fully feel and understand. With the realization, she felt both sick and raw, but it was not over. Her eyes were soon roaming around the room, searching as best they could, with her face forced down into one person after another's crotch for Jib. Though she had no reason to believe him, he promised to protect her from the worst of what might be done to her. Her mind was still too cloudy from the pills to be completely certain, but she was sure in her gut that he'd thus far not been among those who'd had his turn with her. Her gut told her that she would know if he had, but 
The drugs and the events of the evening were messing with her logic. Where had he gone? How much longer could this go on? She wanted to scream out, call his name. She wanted to let him know that the pills were no longer working, but she couldn't. Her mouth was once again full. The slender man that knelt beside her had his cock too far down her throat for comfort. It was blocking her airway as he fucked her mouth and throat. She wanted badly to pull away, but she couldn't. His hands were in her hair, forcing her to take more and more of him into her mouth. But other hands held her body as well, and two other penises were inside of her, working and thrusting into both her front and back doors. This double penetration was not as painful as she would have imagined or feared. It was, in fact, not an unpleasant sensation at all, and offered a feeling of fullness that was both satisfying and maddening. Despite the discomfort of obstructed breathing, she had a tiny orgasm when she felt the man behind her release his load inside of her. Regaining control of her mind, she realized, as the man behind her was replaced by another, there was absolutely no hope of escape or breath. Tears formed in her ever-widening eyes and ran freely down her reddened and already wet cheeks. She felt certain she would die, choked to death by the cock of a man with yellow eyes. Just as fear was taking a firm grip on her, a familiar deep voice from across the room called out, breaking through the din of moans and wet sounds that filled the air. Enough. But we're not done with her. Another voice answered. You're done when I say you are. The right has gone on long enough. She has honored our customs and our ways. She's one of us now, and she's mine. The bodies around and inside of her moved away, leaving Scarlet to lay on the soft rug that covered the living room floor. She took a brief look around as the pack filed out of the room. It was a huge living space, with a massive fireplace and windows that looked out to the side of the mountain. She was not surprised to see that she was again in the mountains. The mountains which surrounded her now were, after all, the same place her journey to this moment in her life had begun years before. Though she could not quite explain why her mind had been changed, or even explain the logic of it, she was convinced now that she was in the company of the people, the beasts, who had killed her parents. Scarlet also had little doubt that they would have killed her had she not submitted to their desires. Her mind was too tired to think beyond this. She was too tired and too scared to ponder what other indignities and dangers waited for her among these people. Her continued survival was for the moment at the whim of Gib, who she now belonged to. She closed her eyes against the light of the room and her fear. She was too tired and sore to move, but she could sense him moving towards her. She felt it when he stopped, only feet from her. She could feel him staring down at her, though her own eyes never opened. Then she felt him. He bent down and took her into his arms, just as he had before. And just as she had before, she smelt him. Candy, blood, and sex. He carried her, to her relief, back towards the bedroom. She wanted to sleep and longed to again be laid upon his comfortable bed. It was the sound of running water that finally motivated her to open her eyes. They passed through the bedroom and into a large, brightly lit bathroom, but none of its polished surfaces were what captured her attention. There was someone else in this room with them. An older woman sat by the edge of the bathroom's oversized tub. She was older than Scarlet's grandmother by at least a couple of decades, with a kind, heavily wrinkled face. Despite her harmless appearance, Scarlet's body tensed up at the sight of another body, causing her muscles to ache all the more. 
Grandma Mary, Gibbs said, addressing the old woman. This is the girl I told you about. Yes, child, I know. Go on and put her in the tub. It's nearly full and I've already added all the salts and things her body will need to smooth and heal it. He did as the old woman asked. Scarlet tried to resist being placed into the water. It was too hot and stung the sensitive parts of her that had only minutes before been put to use, but her arms were too weak to cling tightly enough to him to keep herself out of the water. Gibbs slowly and gently sat her down and pulled away from her side. Now you go. These are private woman's things we must be doing now. The old woman urged. I want to stay. With her head now rested on the tub's edge, Scarlet's eyes were once again closed. She didn't see the stern look that the old woman gave to him, but she took note of the long silence that hung heavily in the air between them. Then she heard the sound of Gib turning to leave. I'll be just outside. Come get me when you're done. I will, child, I will. The old woman promised in a soft, reassuring voice. He was gone in seconds, and Scarlet was alone with her bath and the old woman. After a few moments, she heard the tap being turned, and the water stopped. She opened her eyes just long enough to see the woman take a bottle of shampoo from the side of the tub. She passively allowed her hair to be dampened and then washed. It felt good, having the old woman's fingertips and nails working against her scalp and untangling her hair, but the comfort and familiarity of it caused something inside of her to break. She began to sob lightly. Now, now, child, don't cry. These were the first words Grandma Mary spoke to Scarlet. Her voice was as kind and full of love as it had been with Gib. Do you know what they did to me? How could the old woman not know, being as she was in the same house, only two rooms away? I know, child, I know. It's an ugly thing, but it's been the way of our people for as long as anyone knows or can remember. All of our female kind had to go through that, or similar. And the men, they don't fare no better. They got to fight everyone, one after another, and hope they're strong enough to survive. I tend to them, too. I tend to them all any time they hurt. I've been doing it since I was your age, and was just learning to be a medicine woman, before Gibbs' mama was born, before his daddy went off to university and became a lawyer and earned enough money to build this fancy house for all of us. It's just the way it's always been. But the worst of it is over for you now, and you fared well enough. Gib wouldn't have let them really hurt you. He killed my grandmother, she said flatly. That's something else he had to do. He didn't enjoy it no more than he enjoyed handing you over to the pack to be treated like you were. But if he was going to make you his, he had to kill your last living connection to your family beyond ours. He had no other choice. This, too, is our way. Scarlet sat up and leaned forward, letting her wet hair fall down her back with a soapy splat. He could have left me alone. Maybe you're right. The old woman sighed deeply. Her voice was full of pity and emotion when again she spoke. Hmm. Maybe you are, indeed. But it's done now. You're here. You're one of us. And old Grandma Mary and Gib are going to take care of you, and ain't no one else going to do you no harm. Scarlet turned around in the tub to face the old woman. Her eyes were the same shade of yellow as Gib's and the rest. What are you people, some sort of cult? Mary laughed. 
<laughs> no, we ain't no cult. We're lycanthrope. <laughs> Werewolves? <laughs> what? Scarlet also laughed. It ain't funny. It's the truth. How do you think Gib ripped your old granny apart the way he done? He let that wolf inside him take over for a minute. Scarlet's laughter ended abruptly. She felt sick. She felt guilty for laughing, but not because of any offense she might have caused Grandma Mary. Images of her own grandmother's dead body were filling her mind. Again, she started to cry. Now, I didn't mean to upset you. Lay back in the water and relax. Don't think about none of them unpleasant things no more tonight. There will be plenty of time in the coming weeks for you to learn firsthand about what we are and plenty of time for you to grieve for what you lost. Right now, we need to get you cleaned up and ready for sleep. It's late, and Gib will want you in the bed beside him tonight. He probably won't rest otherwise. Scarlet swallowed hard at the thought of Gib taking her to his bed. The sexual side of her ordeal, it seemed, wasn't quite over. She relaxed as best she could into her previous position, allowing the old woman to finish washing her hair. While she continued her work on Scarlet's hair and helped her clean her body, Grandma Mary spoke to her of the pack's history. She told the girl of how they had originally been formed by a band of runaway slaves and American Indians who'd been displaced by the white settlers. It was the Indians that turned to slaves and into lycanthrope, or what the Indians called among themselves, skinwalkers. They had done it to strengthen their numbers and knew they'd found an ally against the white men in the black slaves. In the centuries since, the pack had expanded to include whites and other outsiders who could strengthen and help protect their land and their secret. Protecting their land and their secret was always priority number one in anything they did. It was absolutely vital that they remain isolated and not be known about by the outside world. Grandma Mary, and by extension Gib, was directly descended from the original runaway slaves. The old woman was quite proud of this, proud of her pack, and equally proud of her grandson. Gib, like his father before him, was the leader of the pack, their alpha male. As the old woman explained it, all the alpha males before Gib's father had been Indians. His father, who was a descendant of one of the original slaves and her Indian husband, had also been the bastard son of the pack's leader. He had been raised from birth to serve as his father's right hand, but he wanted more. When he was old enough, he asked permission and was allowed to go off to university and seek work and wealth among the humans. He'd made a big, important person out of himself, as Mary put it, with a law degree and modest practice set up in a neighboring town. It turned out practicing law paid better than the moonshining the pack had been doing until then to fund their lifestyle. When he returned to the pack, he'd paid to build the house they were currently resided in for his father as well as a number of other cottages and smaller houses in the surrounding area for other members of the pack and his family. He'd purchased much of the surrounding lands for them, too. When his father died, the pack made him their leader. After he'd done all this for them, the pack couldn't deny him his rightful place as their leader, whether he was full-blooded Indian or not. He'd soon after taken the medicine woman's youngest daughter as his bride, and Gib was born a few years later. He died in 1997 of lung cancer, leaving to Gib the leadership of the pack and his house. The pack accepted this, because like his father, Gib protected and took care of them. 
he kept up what his father had built and also provided new luxuries, like personal vehicles, school tuition, internet access, medical coverage, and other things, for the pack with money he earned through online stock trading. The online trading was something Mary clearly had little understanding of, but that didn't matter any to her. She knew it had brought about good things for the pack and her grandson. That was all that mattered to her. Scarlet said nothing while Mary explained these things to her. She remained silent as the old woman helped her from the tub and out to the bed, unsure of how much of the story to believe. She'd heard of unusual mental conditions that caused the sufferer to believe they were an animal or able to shift into animal form. Such people had committed murders and other violent acts, but this seemed to go beyond that, and her drugged brain could make no sense of it. The old woman gave the girl fresh under things to wear, and helped her put some good-smelling ointment on the area between her legs. She promised it would help with her rawness, and that she'd talk to Gib and make sure he knew not to interfere with Scarlet's healing. This declaration made Scarlet's insides go cold. It was another reminder that he'd taken her out of the clutches of his pack, and kept them from causing her any lasting physical harm, because he wanted her body for his own use. Mary seemed to be able to sense that this thought was bothering the girl. You know, you're very special to him. You have been for a long time. I don't see how. He doesn't even know me. Scarlet muttered. He was responsible for the deaths of your parents, and talked his father into sparing your life. And his father won't much for being talked into making those kinds of exceptions. That's knowing you well enough. Scarlet was so tired. All she wanted was silence and sleep. Yet she asked. Why? Why was I spared? <laughs> Why were they killed? <laughs> Gib made a mistake. He went hunting in the park that borders our land and let you and your mama see him while he was walking in his wolfskin. And though it weren't your fault, that ain't something we can allow folks to walk away from. Y'all either had to be brought into the pack or killed. It was decided that it would be the second, since we didn't know nothing about what kind of people you were. We had no other choice. You could have just left us be. No one would have believed me and my mother saw anything but a bear. We couldn't risk it. We can't have folks coming up here into our mountains looking for us. But you were little more than a baby. You couldn't have told nobody nothing about us that they wouldn't have put off to childish fantasy. So, Gib pleaded for your life. Truth be told, he didn't want to kill a child, and his father knew that, and if he forced Gib to kill you, it would scar the boy. Gib was a little younger than you are now at that time, not even a man yet. So, instead of making him kill you, his father made him promise that he'd watch you, check in on you every so often, and make sure as you got older you didn't show any signs of remembering us. I don't... I don't remember anything about how my parents died. I know. I know. Mary smiled. But something else happened along the way to give figuring that out. Scarlet's eyes lifted up from the lowered position they had remained in throughout the whole of their talk, and locked with those of the old woman. What? You became quite a beauty, didn't you? It was only natural that he took notice of it after so many years of following the goings-on in your life. I guess he decided he had the right to claim you as his, even though you won't be technically part of the pack until tonight. I'm not his. 
Scarlet lowered her eyes once more, and looked at the light cotton gown Mary had given her to wear. It wasn't exactly sexy, but she didn't care to even guess exactly what would turn on a man like Gib. You are his, and you'll know it for yourself soon enough. But there ain't no need for us to argue over that. You go on and get into bed. I'll let him know we're done here. Scarlet didn't argue. She instead climbed into the bed, beneath the heavy covers, and hoped that Gib would listen to his grandmother, and that the sexual adventures of the night were over for her. Mary went out, and after a few moments, Gib came back in. As he did, he turned off the lights and climbed into the bed beside her. Snuggling in beneath the covers, right up next to her, he pulled her in closer to him so that her face was nestled against his bare, chiseled chest. Pressing his face in close to the top of her head, he took in a deep breath, smelling her freshly washed hair. Scarlet smelled him, too. She couldn't help it. The scent of candy and sex on him seemed to be growing stronger, but the blood smell was all but gone. While she'd wept throughout most of her bath, she was now quiet and still. She didn't resist him bringing her into his arms, and doubted she'd have been physically able to do so if she tried, but she would not allow herself to relax. She would not allow herself to enjoy his touch, as she had before. Now that she was sober, she would be unmoved by his charms, she told herself, and resolved to lay with him in this non-responsive state for the whole of the night. But then he kissed her forehead. In that moment, reflex and terror took over. She tried with all her might to push him away. Relax. Even though her nails dug into his chest, he held firm to her and spoke in a calming tone. I was just kissing you goodnight. I understand that you need to recover, that you need time to adjust. She held enough tension in her arms to keep some distance between them, but there was even more tension in her voice. And what happens after I've recovered? What happens then? If I still don't want you or your kisses? He laughed. <laughs> then I will ignore your wishes and take you. By the light of the moon through the bedroom's window, she saw that he was smiling widely, clearly amused by the situation. But I don't fear that it will come to that. I noticed how you enjoyed it before when I touched you, when I kissed and undressed you. You even enjoyed your initiation. Don't deny it. You drugged me. I wasn't in my right mind. If it makes you feel better to believe that, believe it. But you'll want me and my kisses soon enough, without being drugged. With that declaration made, he flexed his muscles. Easily overcoming her resistance, he brought her once more in close to his chest. Again, she didn't resist. She was too scared and confused to. He was a cocky son of a bitch, but there was something about his power and presence that she found very attractive, despite herself and his crimes. Now, it's time for us to sleep. She whimpered quietly, but finally allowed herself to relax. Soon, she was asleep. In the morning, her new life with the werewolf pack began.
longer kept good time, but was all that she had left from her old life. Drive faster, she urged. Why are you in such a damn hurry? I just am. Well, I only agreed to drive you to this stupid fucking pumpkin festival to get you to stop nagging me and everyone else about it, though I don't know why. You've never done much for me. Scarlet frowned. I want to be there for the opening, and what choice have I ever had in what I do or don't do for you or anyone else? He opened his mouth to reply. Before he could, a blue light flashed and a siren sounded behind them. Scarlet smiled as he pulled the car over to the road's shoulder. This was her chance. Before the car could come to a complete stop, she unlatched her seatbelt and threw open the door. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? He shouted at her over the sound of the rushing wind that was working to force the door back in on her. Solving the crime of my grandmother's murder and escaping my kidnapper! She shouted back as she leapt from the still-moving car. Hitting the ground hard, she rolled down a small embankment and landed into the shallow ditch that ran along the side of the road. The officer behind them slammed on his brakes upon seeing this, filling the air with a loud squeal, and in a similar move, exited his vehicle as quickly as his bulky body could allow. What followed was pure pandemonium. Scarlet, now covered in dirt and leaves, pulled herself out of the ditch and ran towards the officer, with her scraped and dirty hands held high and her face full of emotion. You have to stop him! He murdered my grandmother and kidnapped me! Please, stop him! The young officer was too overwhelmed to fully much make much sense of her words, but heard and understood both kidnapped and murdered. His gun moved wildly back and forth between her and the car. Then the car lurched forward, and he understood one thing. The black man behind the wheel was making an attempt to flee. Officer Hunter, a first-year deputy, fired. By the end of next week, Scarlet's story was worldwide news. Her face appeared on the cover of local, national, and international newspapers, and was shared on all the social networking websites. Reporters and common folk alike marveled at her bravery and pitied her for her loss of innocence. How could they not? She'd been kidnapped in her late teens and spent nine years of her life in captivity, no doubt suffering all manner of abuse and degradation, and all that before playing a dramatic and daring role in her own escape. It was the sort of stuff made for television movies. Famous talk show hosts requested interviews with her. Churches took up collections in her name. The local authorities paid to put her up in a hotel, and several stores at the local mall gifted her with shopping sprees. She was in dire need of both clothing and personal items, coming out of her captivity as she had with just the clothing on her back. Scarlet, for her part, graciously took the charity while at the same time declining to speak to anyone but the police about her ordeal. But speak with her, they did. They wanted to know where she had been held. A house. Somewhere in the woods. She told them. She explained she couldn't tell them exactly where. She'd never been allowed to leave the property and didn't know the area. She had not witnessed the murder, but she told them he'd confessed the crime to her. Beyond that, she could tell them nothing about the crime. She couldn't tell them anything more about anyone else that might have been involved in the crime. She'd been kept in near total isolation for nearly a decade, she explained, over and over again. She just wanted to forget it all, everything from her past. 
She wanted to reclaim her life and live free. They'd have to eventually accept this and close the case. Krista and Jenna came to see Scarlett on the third day. Krista, who lived in Charlotte, had driven up. Jenna, who had moved to Virginia, had flown down. They both cried when they saw Scarlett. Scarlett cried as well. She cried even more when Jenna showed her a picture of her daughter. The little baby was named Scarlett. She was blonde and looked nothing like Vivian Leigh. They both promised that they would always be there for her, whenever she needed them. All she had to do was call them. Then, on the fifth day, they returned home, and she knew that she'd never see either of them again. She was a ghost from their past, someone they had long ago given up as dead, an unwanted reminder of how harsh and dangerous life could be. She didn't blame them for not wanting to remember. On the sixth day, she sat for the last time across from the police specialist that had been brought in to counsel her. It was this woman's job to help her adjust to life outside of captivity, but she couldn't help, and Scarlet was tired of her. She was tired of her pity. She was tired of her words of encouragement. She was tired of the other officers' questions. She was tired of it all, and she'd already told them all she could. Her grandmother's murder had been solved. She had been rescued from captivity and given back her life and identity. She was ready to be free of the obligation to repay them for this rescue with her cooperation. I'm leaving today, she announced as she crushed out her cigarette. The wooden legs of the chair she'd been seated in scraped loudly across the bare concrete floor as she pushed it back from the table and stood. Scarlet gathered up her purse and cigarettes as she left. Outside the police station, in the nearly empty parking lot, sat a large black truck driven by a man with skin the color of chocolate and a beautiful smile. The truck and its driver had already been by the hotel to collect Scarlet's things, and was now there to collect her. The man inside turned his head only slightly as she opened the door and climbed in. Then, once more looking straight ahead, he started the engine while she settled into the comfortable leather seat at his side. You look nice. Thank you. She smiled, but somehow her expression still appeared sullen. I thought maybe the dress was a bit too much, considering everything. But I couldn't resist the joke. A single eyebrow raised up over his dark driving glasses as he glanced over at the low-cut number that hugged her body so tightly it showed off all her major curves. He thought it was indeed a bit much, as was the hooded red cloak she'd purchased to wear with it. The whole outfit, which had come second-hand from a local charity shop, was most likely a cast-off Halloween costume. But Scarlet's personal style had always been a bit theatrical, and it was a very nicely made dress. I like it. Not so little red. As any big bad wolf would. She reached over and touched the side of his face lovingly, caressing his cheek and the hair of his graying beard. Let's get out of here. I don't like the smell of this town. It stinks of humanity and urban decay. All towns do. He narrowed his eyes as he inhaled. And I smell something else, too. Hmm? Dropping her hand into her lap, she relaxed a little more fully into the passenger seat, trying her best to look innocent. You've been smoking? Only a little. She'd known this would upset him, and had hoped he'd not notice the smell right away. I need to calm my nerves. And are you still nervous? I'll throw the rest of the pack out when we get home. Why not now? He pressed a button in the driver's side door, and the window next to her rolled down. 
Very well. She sighed as she unzipped her purse and pulled out the nearly empty pack of cigarettes. Crushing it inside her fist, she dropped it onto the asphalt. She also took this moment to rid herself of the long, where green colored contacts she'd been wearing since just before her rescue. She flicked them out of the window as the glass rolled back up. Is everything here wrapped up? He asked, even as he pulled the truck out of the tiny parking lot and onto the four-lane road that served as the town's main traffic artery. It's an open and shut case. No lingering questions? She stared at him in silence, annoyed by his questions. It had taken her three months to convince him that she could free him of Sammy's growing insubordination, while at the same time reclaim her identity. It had been nearly impossible for her to move about in the world, even locally, while listed as a missing person, but Gibb hadn't been immediately willing to risk so much on such an uncertain plot as the one Scarlet had devised. He would have preferred to have simply killed his adversary outright, himself, instead of letting some random officer of the law have the privilege. So, it had been with a great deal of reluctance that he'd finally allowed Scarlet to play upon Sammy's nefarious desires to be alone with her and leave the pack's land with him. Even after he'd agreed to it, she'd had to go over her plan with him multiple times. She would, she had explained, convince Sammy to take her into town for a festival. They travel in an old unregistered car they'd found hidden away in one of the pack's storage barns. Once off pack land, she'd attract the attention of the law and let them do the rest. This left an uncomfortably large part of her plan up to Sammy's reaction at them being caught, but he was unlikely to go down easy. It just wasn't the way of the wolf. However, even if he did allow himself to be taken in and didn't get himself killed in a police shootout, she'd pin her grandmother's death on him and there'd be nothing to connect him back to Gib or the pack. If her plan for them to be pulled over while passing through a known speed trap had failed, she would have surely been forced to spend several hours alone with Sammy, who'd never completely go forgotten over his exclusion from her initiation. Neither she nor Gib relished the thought of this, but from Gib's point of view, there was more at risk than his foe getting some alone time with Scarlet. Though he hadn't expressed it, he'd been just as fearful of her not returning to him once she was rescued as he had been of her scheme not working. Scarlet had made two attempts to escape during those first weeks with him. Both times, he personally found her and brought her back. He hadn't wanted any other pack members manhandling her. Even with just him hunting her, she'd been found before she could make it off of pack land. She didn't know the woods. She would have probably died, lost in the wilderness, if he hadn't gone after her. His jaw tightened at the memory of slinging her over his shoulder and carrying her, kicking and biting, back to the house. She finally spoke. There aren't any lingering questions, and I hope I've finally proven that I'm loyal and cunning enough to be a danger to all who would threaten us. Your loyalty was never in question. He lied. This was the point in their ongoing conversation about her aiding in their protection when he'd normally tell her that he was more than capable of protecting them both. She was prepared for his dismissal of her desire to prove her worth and ready to argue, but instead he reached over and took her hand in his brought it to his lips, and kissed it. I couldn't have found a better mate if I'd spent a thousand years searching. No, you couldn't have. (laughs) She laughed. The best day of my life was the day I finally won your love. It was the moon that won me over. Gib knew this was at least partly true, and was how he had planned things to be. Still, 
He glanced over at her and smiled that smile of his she'd always found so attractive and asked, Wasn't it at least a little bit me? I suppose it was. She relaxed her head against her seat's headrest, still looking at him as he drove. Yeah, it definitely was. After her second attempt at escape, Scarlet had given up on winning her freedom. She had spent much of the following week curled up in Gibbs' bed, sobbing or standing silently beside one of the house's many windows, staring out at the mountainside and the falling autumn leaves. Grandma Mary made sure she changed her night clothing every evening, but Scarlet never bothered in the mornings with actually getting dressed. She only ate when Gib or Grandma Mary insisted. Gib tried cheering her up with little gifts and gave her everything he could think of that she might need, waiting for her that first morning in one of the two large closets belonging to the master bedroom was a complete new wardrobe. Clothes, shoes, makeup, even jewelry and handbags. He gave her space. He gave her compliments. He made promises for the future. None of it made any change in Scarlet's mood. Any time she started to feel even the slightest bit of contentment or pleasure, guilt would come flooding in to chase away those feelings. It had been three weeks before the full moon when Gib had bitten Scarlet and brought her into the pack. Plenty of time for her to begin to adjust and accept her new life before it hit. Still, Gib feared that she'd not be ready for the moon. Both he and Grandma Mary made attempts to convince and warn her that she'd soon feel the power of the moon. The full moon, as they'd explained, had a strong mental and emotional effect on their kind. Fiction and folklore depicted this as a sudden and uncontrollable transformation, but it wasn't this. She'd soon feel the cravings and hunger, even the anxiety, of her wolf side. She'd find it hard to control herself, they cautioned. She didn't believe them. There were brief moments, such as those directly following her initiation into the pack, when she entertained the idea that there was something unnatural about these people who had taken her hostage. But it wasn't until Gib finally showed her a transformation that she believed. The young woman who had transformed to her was no doubt the least threatening member of the pack he could find. A year or two younger than Scarlet, she was slim with long straight black hair, high cheekbones, and olive-colored skin. Gib brought her in and introduced her as Liz, while Scarlet sat by the living room fire. At first, Scarlet refused to acknowledge her presence, but Gib insisted that she must look at her. While he stood beside her, Scarlet watched the girl's face take on a nearly demonic cast. The change started with her teeth. They grew. They became almost too long for her mouth and too sharp to be human. Then her face and neck started to sprout hair. If she had been unclothed, Scarlet would have seen fur appearing everywhere on her body, but by this stage of the transformation, she was beyond wondering about whether it grew all over. Stop! She shouted and turned away from the sight and back towards the fire. Gib must have made some motion to dismiss the girl, because Liz rose slowly from her seat, across from Scarlet, and left. He didn't speak again until she was gone. Do you now believe? Yes. Scarlet kept her eyes on the fire and would not look at him. I believe. He left her there, alone by the fire, to warm herself and think. Still, she could not even begin to process the idea that she was somehow changed by Gibbs' bite. Even when her eyes had started to change colors from dark green to yellow, she'd refused to believe. It wasn't until the third week, the week of the full moon, that she started to truly feel different. Her senses were raging. The smells were the worst, and the best. 
The scent of blood on Gib was gone. The smell of candy still clung strong to him. She figured it to be the product of some sort of body wash or cologne. It made her mouth water every evening, at bedtime, when his arms enveloped her. However, it was the third aspect of his scent that came to trouble her the most in the third week. It was sex that she suddenly craved. She craved it more than she ever had before, and she craved it with him. She did her best to keep her desire hidden and ignore the smell of it on him. She forced her breathing to remain calm when he touched her, or lay near her, or spoke her name. Her racing heartbeat she could not control, and hoped that he'd not be able to notice, but it seemed that Gib did notice many things a normal man would not. Often when she was the most overcome with erotic thoughts, he would look at her and smile, giving the unsettling impression that he could read her mind. Scarlet would always shudder slightly when he did this, and either look away, or pretend to take notice of something else. A book, a falling leaf outside the window, anything but him. Every morning since the first, Scarlet had taken to the tub for a long soak. At the start, this had been at Grandma Mary's insistence, but even after the old woman had stopped reminding her, Scarlet still took an hour or longer bath every morning, always using the same salt and herbs as that first night. This was her time to think and be alone, and Gib left her alone during it. That is, until the morning of the second day of the third week, he didn't. On that morning, just as she was settling into the water and making herself comfortable, Gib walked in behind her. She shifted forward in the water, bringing her knees up towards her chest and folding her arms over her breasts, only just able to cover them. Gib smiled at her modest pose. I've got some things to do after breakfast and need to grab a shower. I won't bother you. With that, he untied his pajama bottoms and let them, along with his underwear, drop to the floor. He'd not exposed himself to her so fully before this. She liked, very much, what she saw. He was large and muscular, all over. Her eyes followed him all the way to the shower, which was an oversized and visually dramatic affair in the furthest corner of the room, with no curtain or door, only a two-foot retaining wall surrounding its base, and a pane of clear glass on one side. She shifted the position of her body again, this time so that she was angled in a way that allowed her to watch him without seeming to be watching. As he lathered himself, one of her arms relaxed and unwrapped itself from around her chest. As his hand moved lower down his body, cleaning himself, hers moved lower down her own, with other, dirtier purposes in mind. But she stopped herself. Biting her lip, she turned her eyes away from him and did her best to ignore his presence. She paused in her washing and covered herself with her arms again, when minutes later she heard the water stop, but didn't do so much as glance in his direction. She didn't see the large victorious smile he wore as he dried himself and left the room. She avoided eye contact with him over breakfast, and was grateful when after eating, he immediately left to handle some pack business. The rest of her morning was spent settled into a chair by the fire reading. That was one thing she could say to Gibbs' credit. He kept an extensive library of books, all shelved on large bookcases that took up all of the living room's back wall. On this day, she was reading about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. She was so engrossed in the details of the Romans' conflict with the inhabitants of what would later become France that she almost didn't hear his return. 
She didn't hear him, but she sure smelled him. The scent of sex on him was stronger than ever before. She could smell it from across the room, before he was even inside the door. But also, there was something else. The stale perfume of another woman clung to him. The smell of it made her blood boil. She stared daggers at him as he came in and settled down in front of the computer desk that sat on the opposite side of the room. But he didn't acknowledge her. He didn't even look in her direction. Just turned on the computer and logged into his password-protected user account. Within seconds, he was at work on the latest stock trade that needed to be made. She was supposed to be his, and he was ignoring her. As irrational as it seemed to even her, this bothered her. It hurt her pride. She would not stand for it. Rising from her place by the fire, she moved into the bedroom, closing and locking the double doors behind her. After locking herself inside their bedroom, she looked around at it, taking in everything that was hers. There wasn't much that was, except for the clothes inside what Gibb called her closet. She was suddenly filled with the desire to change that, to lay claim to it all. Not just the room, but the home and everything in it, including him. Ripping off her nightgown and tossing it on the floor, she stepped into the closet and for the first time, really looked at what it contained. Most of the clothes were casual, good for camping or hiking or lounging around the house, but not at all what she was looking for. Towards the back of the closet was a small selection of dressier wear. It didn't take her long to find and decide on a sexy, sleeveless black number with matching heels. Taking both with her into the bathroom, she retrieved the yet untouched makeup case and hair products from below the vanity and set to work. An hour later, wearing the dress, heels, and what would become her signature shade of red lipstick, she unlocked and opened the bedroom's doors. Gibb was no longer on the computer. He was seated instead on the sofa facing the bedroom's doors, watching them and waiting for her. He gave her a knowing sort of grin as she approached him, letting his eyes drift uh, all down the length of her body. In the form-fitting dress, he was suddenly very pleased with himself for picking out for her. Returning his eyes to her face, he took in her flawless brows and the perfect way her hair framed her features. You needn't have gone to so much trouble for me. I thought you looked plenty good already. She said nothing as she knelt down in front of him. Positioning herself at his feet, she ran her hands over his knees and up his thighs. The roughness of the denim jeans that covered his lower half felt nice against her palms, invoking a small sigh from her tightly closed lips. I assume this means I won't have to take you, after all. She made a low growling sound, deep in her throat, and bared her teeth at him in response. She'd clearly not appreciated the implication of his words, but the slit didn't slow down her movements or diminish her resolve to have him. Her hands moved to the top button of his pants, but he stopped her before she could get it undone. Taking hold of one of her wrists, he leaned forward enough to place his other hand behind her head, grasping a handful of her hair. Her free hand instinctively went to the back of her head and grabbed his wrist and held onto it, but not really trying to free herself from his hold. Truthfully, it excited her, having his fingers wrapped tightly around her hair. I think I'll pass on the blowjob. Boy. She almost growled, still able to smell the scent of the other woman on him. She was sure he'd not stopped whoever she was from touching him. He released her wrist and touched the side of her face. Pressing back her upper lip with his thumb, he exposed her teeth. 
She ran her tongue over them, taking in how much sharper and longer they felt. You don't have control of your wolf yet, and I don't much like the idea of my dick being her first meal. Giving her no time to think this over, Gib rose to his feet and pulling her up from the floor. She felt unsteady on her feet, but Gib's fingers were still intertwined with her hair, helping to hold her steady and guiding her movements. He pulled her head backwards, forcing her to look up into his eyes, while his other hand moved up the front of her skirt. She was wearing no panties. I could smell your wet cunt before you even came out, he commented. The moon is clearly doing its work on you. She moaned as his finger brushed against her outer lips, parting her legs enough to open herself up to him. She moaned again as he took the invitation, and his thumb connected with the swollen tip of her clit. As he began to massage both it and her opening, she moved her hips in time with the motion of his hand. Do you want me to fuck you? Yes! He asked. Tell me you're mine. I'm yours! I won't have to drug you? No. She sounded defeated and desperate, but there was a clear longing in her words as well. I'm yours. Without another word, he spun her around so that she was facing the sofa. Scarlet both heard and felt the rip as he tore open the back of her dress. She was already falling forward onto the sofa as it fell to the floor. Once more seizing hold of her hair, he forced her to kneel on the sofa's edge and press the side of her face into the back cushion. Now completely naked before him and under his power, Scarlet had never before felt more submissive or turned on. Please take me. He smacked her ass hard, causing her to whimper. What did I tell you about begging that first night? He smacked her ass again. This time, her opposite cheek took the full force of the assault. She cried out this time, but knew better than to beg him to stop. With the third blow, she bit her lip to stifle a scream. By the fourth, she was trembling all over, and tears were threatening to ruin her makeup. Taking a deep breath, she steeled herself for a fifth strike, but it did not come. His hand instead again found her sex. Still holding her hair with his other hand, he rubbed up and down the length of her wet slit, slowly moving his fingers over the folds of her lips. Open your legs, he commanded. She carefully positioned her knees wider apart. As she did, her vagina opened up for him like a moist flower. He slid his three middle fingers inside her. Her response was nearly immediate. Her muscles contracted and gripped his digits. She came, with a loud scream and enough cream to fill his palm. You really are a horny little wolf, aren't you? Pulling his fingers out of her and taking a step back, he finally released his hold on her hair. Stay as you are. Scarlet didn't move. She didn't even breathe. When she heard him unzip his jeans, the sound of the zipper sent a small shockwave through her whole body. It made her pussy ache as though she'd not come in ages, instead of only seconds prior. She expected him to dive right into her, but there was a pause. The sound of a condom wrapper being opened filled the space. Then, he was inside of her. His cock was much thicker than his fingers, and reached deeper inside of her, deeper than anyone else ever had. Had she not been so wet and ready for him, it would have been uncomfortable how suddenly and fully he had filled her. But she was ready and hungry enough for him, ready to take every inch of his length and girth. To prove this, she pushed backwards to meet his thrusts, forcing him even deeper inside of her, but his hands moved to her hips, gripping them and taking control of even this movement. She was forced to submit to the harsh and quick rhythm of his motion. He did love to be in control, it seemed. Harder! <gasps> uh. 
she cried, gasping for hair and grasping at the sofa's cushions for leverage. Leaning his body in over hers, he whispered to her, Don't claw the furniture. She glanced down at her hands. Her nails were an inch longer than they had been moments before, and sharper. She only got to inspect her claws for a moment before he pulled her up from the sofa and turned her around to face him. Let's move this to the bed. I was planning on replacing the mattress soon anyway. Wasting no time, he wrapped his arms around her waist and lifted her up off her feet. As her arms hugged his shoulders and her legs his hips, he gripped her ass with both hands, bringing her body further up the front of his own. With his mouth on her mouth and his erection pressed into her belly, he carried her to the bed. Once there, he plopped her down onto the edge of the mattress and finished stripping off his own clothes. She passively watched him, while urging him with her eyes to hurry. Her hands began to roam over her own body, lifting up and squeezing her breasts before trailing down her stomach and grasping her thighs, pushing them open. He must have liked this little display of self-pleasuring, because when he was done removing his pants and had kicked them away, he stood there naked before her and watched her fingering herself. The scent of candy and sex coming off him was stronger than ever before. Still touching herself, she closed her eyes and inhaled deeply. She exhaled with a heavy sigh and small shudder. Smell is always the first of the wolf senses to develop. I'd say yours is probably at full strength right now. He moved towards the bed. What do I smell like to you? Candy. <sighs> she moaned. He was standing so close to the bed's edge that she could feel his knees touching hers, but she kept her eyes closed. Stop what you're doing and look at me. She turned her eyes upward to meet his. Lay down on your back. Scooting back from the bed's edge, she kicked off her shoes and pulled her legs up onto the mattress and lay back. Her head had no sooner hit her pillow than he was again on her, between her thighs but not inside her. Instead, he hovered mere inches above her, bracing his weight with his arms and staring intently into her eyes. Her eyes wandered down his face to his massive chest as her hands reached up and touched his incredibly toned muscles. She wanted to pull him down on top of her. She wanted to feel his weight crushing her. Looking back up into his eyes, she silently begged him to move, to take her. He just stared back at her, with his unnatural yellow eyes. All female lycanthrope come in heat with the full moon. He spoke slowly, making sure she understood every word. You're truly one of us now. You're truly mine. I suppose I am. She raised herself up from the pillow, just enough to kiss his neck, and then his shoulder, nipping at him with her new teeth. This turned out to be all the encouragement he needed. As he slid himself back inside of her, she knew she'd never again attempt to leave him. Scarlet had been watching Gib the whole time, as he drove and she thought back on their past. Looking around at their surrounding and the landscape that was whizzing by them, she realized they hadn't passed a house or any other building for several minutes. Only autumn trees and leaf-covered ground lined the sides of the road. She longed to be back in the woods. The she-wolf inside her wanted to run. No, not just run. With the coming full moon, it wanted much more than that. She turned her eyes back towards Gib and leaned in as close to him as the seats of the truck would allow. Her breasts pressed lightly against the side of his arm as he slid her hand over his thigh, 
towards the bulge between his legs. Pull over. She breathed in his ear. We'll be home soon. She gave him a squeeze, letting her sharp fingernails dig lightly into the thick denim of his pants. Not soon enough. He squirmed a little, clearly enjoying her touch. I didn't bring any condoms with me. I've been thinking about that. Maybe it's time we added a new member into the pack. She caressed and then gave him another squeeze. Hmm, is that so? Pull over and I'll let you chase me down and do whatever you want to me. I already do all those things to you. He cut his eyes towards her with a smile. Regularly. Slumping back into her seat, Scarlet conceded defeat and stared once more at the trees. They would be home soon. He glanced over at her, still smiling. You're very sexy when you pout. She didn't take her eyes off the forest. I don't pout. I brood. You're very sexy when you brood. As he spoke, Gib pulled the truck to the side of the road. But can you brood and run at the same time? Scarlet was out the passenger side of the truck and halfway to the tree line before he could turn off the engine. He watched the sight of her round backside disappearing into the woods before exiting the vehicle to follow. They were near the park, and on the other side of it was their land. He'd give her enough of a head start to allow her to make it all the way there before he caught her. She was always more fun to ravish when she tired herself out a bit. Next time. What do you think? Will you let us in?